This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This Sunday from State Farm Stadium in Arizona, what could be one of the best Super Bowl matchups we've seen in a very long time, the 14-3 and Kansas City Chiefs, number one seed in the AFC, the 14-3 and Philadelphia Eagles, your number one seed in the NFC, and they're set to go head-to-head also the battle of the Kelsey brothers, Jason versus Travis, who will win their mother's affection and love for the rest of their lives. I'm just kidding. I think their mom will love them either way. But there's uh, a ton of storylines heading into this one. Really looking forward to the game and really looking forward to this next conversation uh, as we take a look at the Eagles heading into this one. Uh, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Very happy to welcome in Dave Spadaro, uh, host of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Uh, he's in Arizona getting set for the game on Sunday. Dave, thanks so much for doing this today. How are you? My pleasure. I'm doing great, and, and I agree. I think this this is a Super Bowl that has the makings of a classic. Both teams are the best in their conferences, and I think it's a, it's just an awesome matchup. And you didn't even mention the Andy Reid storyline, 14 years and. <laughs> Philadelphia. I mean, that's how deep these storylines go. It's like up at the same number of points scored with two great pass rushes. Uh, they have pro bowlers up and down the lineup. First black quarterbacks to start together in a Super Bowl in history. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. It is going to be a classic. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Sunday as much as I've looked forward to a Super Bowl uh, in a number of years. Uh, tell me, you're in Arizona for get, uh, getting set for this one. What's the excitement level? What's the buzz level ahead of uh, Sunday's matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I think I, everybody recognizes. Look, at this point, it's Wednesday. Uh, there's been you know a couple of days of media already. I think the players are kind of like, how many more questions do you have for us? <laughs> they finally got back on the on the practice field today. The Eagles had a walkthrough today, so um, at least they're they're getting back on the they, on the field. They can get a little bit of their nervous energy out. Um, there, it's obviously an enormous stage, and the scope of the game is something that those new to it have never experienced. And um, it's a great buzz. It's a positive buzz. Both teams have a lot of respect for each other, and I think both teams are aware that if they don't bring their A plus game, it's going to be really tough to win. So um, the Eagles come in healthy. Uh, the Chiefs have some injury questions. I think that's a really big factor in this in this football game. And then, of course, how do the Eagles handle the the, the stage and the and the you know the platform of the Super Bowl against a team that's going to make its third Super Bowl appearance in four seasons? Yeah, it's very interesting the the narrative between the two teams because it wasn't all that long ago the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, Dave. But I don't know if people realize the scale of changes that have happened since then and how quickly the Eagles have gotten back here, obviously, you know, you're going from Doug Peterson to Nick Sirianni, but you're talking about different quarterbacks, different core members of this Eagles team. It really has been 
a pretty remarkable comeback from a, a different team in 2017 to the team that's here in 2022. Yeah, I mean, uh, to give you an example, there's seven active members on the 53-man roster who were part of that 2017 team, and that includes the place kicker and the long snapper. So five position players, and the rest are new. And, you know, the Eagles had a dip. They, they, they won the Super Bowl in the 2017 season. They went to the second round of the playoffs in 18. They lost in the first round in 19. Then they had a disaster of a season in 2020, end of the Carson Wentz era, end of the Doug Peterson era. Um, and so they've turned it over very quickly and gotten back to this point with a team that's young, with got a lot of young talent, a lot of draft capital. They have the 10th pick in the draft in two months, which is crazy to think about in a lot of different ways. Um, so, so, they, so I give, you know, Howie Rosen, the general manager, has done a great job turning the roster over. And, and this offseason, addressing needs. You know, they made the playoffs last season. They went to Tampa Bay. They got outclassed. And they said, okay, we need to – really upgrade in this area, that area. all, And they went out and they did it. And the result is a team that's been dominant all season. You know, the only lull they had this year was when Hertz was injured and they lost at Dallas on Christmas Eve in a shootout and then played just a lousy game against the New Orleans Saints a week later on, on New Year's Day. So otherwise, this team has been able to win at the line of scrimmage with brawn, with athleticism, with depth. Um, they have a, a, an offense that can beat you a lot of different ways. And Man, this is if this Eagles team wins, it will go down, no doubt, as the best Eagles team of the modern era because they have been that good. Talk to me about Jalen Hurts. It feels like it hasn't been that long ago since the narrative out of Philadelphia and maybe you know observers of the team were saying, I wonder if this is the guy for the Philadelphia Eagles because he's really this year taken massive strides forward. He looks like he's the kind of guy that you can build around for the next, you know, five, 10 years. How has that sort of progressed in his now three years in Philly? It's a, it's a great point. And, and truly coming into this season, that was the overarching question. This season was about is Jalen hurts the quarterback for the future. And in very quick order here, he's gone from being the quarterback, you know, that question to the question now is, is he the MVP of the NFL and you know the Eagles obviously think he is he's played such great football he's worked really hard on his game he's been a self-critic uh, the Eagles have surrounded him with an off offensive line that's second to none bringing in A.J. Brown compliments a terrific wide receiver core and Jalen has become an outstanding quarterback in every phase of the game and uh, so I think the one thing that people really need to understand for the first time in his career since high school he is in the system with coaches for a second consecutive season. So it's like learning a language and you go, all right, I'm going to learn Spanish. And then next year, I'm going to, it's going to be French. And then the year after that's going to be Italian. So for the first time, he's been able to dig into a second season in that language. And it's made a huge difference. Um, he's been able to kill teams with his legs, which he's always been able to do, but he's become a really good quarterback from the pocket, decision-making ball security, He's really done it all, and, and so I think when the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs have looked at him all week, you go, uh, the, the first thing we need to do is take Jalen's legs out of the equation, which is very difficult to do. But when teams have done that, he's stepped back and thrown for 360 yards and three touchdowns. Um, it, this is an offense that really has that kind of versatility and a quarterback who's able to deliver. How impressed and, and how much of an impact has Nick Sirianni had on this team just year two coaching them. I know they went to the playoffs last year. didn't end how they were hoping, but uh, it seems like this is a guy that's got a really good feel for his team and has pressed a lot of the right buttons with this group. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I've been around since the days of Buddy Ryan, so <laughs> I can tell you that Nick's got the makings of a really, really great head coach. He connects. He had, and that's one of his, and perhaps the most important of his five core values is connecting, and he's done that. And I think back to last year when the Eagles were two and five, and Nick had a press conference. And he's talking about planting seeds, and you know, we may not see the the flowers above the earth, but below the earth, there's roots and there's there's growth, and everybody's going, "What in the heck is this guy <laughs> talking about?" Well, the Eagles turned it around, and they they went seven and two the rest of the way, and they made the postseason. And really, he won the team over, and he. He doubled down on what he believes in, and he's got great energy. He gave up the play calling last year, which to me indicates a lack of ego, which is he wants to do what's best for the team. Not, not many coaches will do that. And um, so he, so he's, I think he's got the makings of a really great head coach. He's, look, he's got a very talented roster here. He's managed a lot of people's uh, egos and expectations and wants for the football, and everybody likes the guy. He brings it. If your coach works so hard and you see it and cares so much and you see it, that really does matter to the players. And, and they see a genuine, authentic, um, fun-loving, game-loving, player-loving coach in Nick Sirianni. And he's here to stay. And, you know, the way the Eagles are constructed, they should be a very good football team for years to come. How important, looking back to the offseason, has the addition of A.J. Brown been? You mentioned him a little bit earlier on in one of your other answers. And I've looked at that and said, wow, what a, a great piece that the Eagles went out and got because it just seems like he's been a guy that's really was looked like a missing piece for that group and has really brought everybody into an area where they concede, can succeed, whether that's Devonta Smith or, or Dallas Goddard or just having another weapon for Jalen Hurts in general. It feels like he filled a big void for this Eagles team. Oh, my gosh, he's so good. And... You know, last year, Devontae came in and did a really good job, 915 receiving yards. He set an NFL, an Eagles franchise record for rookie receiving yards, and it was good stuff. But he was the only threat, and it really caught up to them. And they needed somebody to really be a dominant force, and A.J. Brown has been that. I mean, he's had you know, just an impact in every game, and, and the way defenses have to play him, uh, they have to respect Devontae uh, as well as A.J. And A.J. creates space. With his body, Devontae gets open with his routes. Uh, they've had big play after big play. Um, again, no egos, but, uh, I mean, you, you know, if you're, if you're a defense and you've got to worry about the quarterback running, you've got to worry about the running back, Miles Sanders, a pro bowler running, you've got to worry about Dallas Goddard, uh, who's an excellent tight end, who's always, it seems, quote-unquote, the other tight end. You've got to worry about Devontae Smith, who will kill anybody one-on-one. And now you got to worry about A.J. Brown. I mean, he was the missing piece to an offense that came came back complete, came back intact from last year. So he adds the big play element. He has the short catch-and-run element. He has the downfield, out-muscle somebody element. He's been outstanding, deserving of being a Pro Bowl player. 11 touchdowns, 1,500 yards almost. I mean, just a, a star receiver from day one. Build as advertised. Outstanding, outstanding player. The best receiver I've seen here, honestly, and that type of receiver since Terrell Owens in 2004. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's really saying something. And the Eagles have had some great ones over the years, and A.J. Brown just fit in so perfectly there. He's been a great asset to that Eagles offense. Uh, another guy that seems like a major piece there, and uh, he's obviously getting headlines because of the brother versus brother aspect, Jason Kelsey going up against his brother, Travis. I, I love this guy from the outside. I love the podcast he does with his brother, the fact that they're able to show some personality, he seems like a leader 
He seems like a key, important cog on that Philadelphia team. But more importantly than that, when you look at the opponent that they have coming up on Sunday, Dave, you know, when you're talking about a guy like Chris Jones, it, you're, who's coming down the middle and can impact the pocket and collapse it from within, you got to think the importance of a guy like Jason Kelsey and those guys in the middle gets ramped up for the Eagles on Sunday. Bing, bing, bing. There's your key to the game for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. And Chris Jones commands that kind of respect. He is a game wrecker. Uh, he's, he's somebody who ruins you from the inside, but he also loops to the outside. He allows the Kansas City Chiefs to create pressure without the blitz. Now, the Eagles have done a great job handling that. They did an outstanding job against the 49ers a couple of weeks ago, the Giants before that. Kelsey is the key. Cerebral, athletic, powerful, a great story. A sixth-round draft pick in 2011. He's a five-time All-Pro. He's been to the Pro Bowl five or six times. Could be a Hall of Famer. We think he is in Philly. He delivered the all-time epic Parade of Champions speech, uh, dressed in a mummer's costume after the 2018 win in the Super Bowl. Like the guy owns Philadelphia. Like he is the Mount. He is at the top of the Mount Rushmore list in in Philadelphia sports history. I'm talking about an Eddie sport. I mean, the guy is incredible. And he's genuine, and he's like he's you're, you, he's a very likable guy. He yeah. and Travis are two great, great guys. The podcast is awesome, um, and Kelsey's a key guy. He, he's got to do a good job against Chris Jones. If they can win inside against Chris Jones, then the Kansas City Chiefs are in a lot of trouble because the Eagles that offensive line with Jordan Mailata at left tackle, with Lane Johnson at right tackle, you know that's a win for the Eagles. And, and really, you know, while we talk a lot about Hurts and Miles Sanders and Smith and Brown and Goddard, it's the offensive line that is the most significant difference in every game. They're so physical, they're so good, and it starts with Kelsey, who's going to recognize what he is now. You know, look, he came in during the Andy Reid days. Andy Reid once had Jim Johnson as his defensive coordinator. Jim Johnson gave birth to Steve Spagnolo, who's the Kansas City Chiefs defensive coordinator. The Eagles have a working knowledge of what this defense likes to do, the way it disguises pressure, the way it brings pressure. And so to me, that's the whole key to the game. If the Eagles can win at the line of scrimmage with Kelsey and Jones in that matchup, then it's going to be a good day for the Eagles. If not, it's going to be a really tough day for this offense. Dave Spadaro joining us. He's the host of the Eagles Insider Podcast, looking ahead to Sunday's Super Bowl matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, one thing that I, I was really interested in asking you about today, Dave, was uh, a midseason move by this team on defense to bring in a couple of veterans on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, the two guys, of course, that I'm talking about, Dominican Sue and Linval Joseph. What sort of precipitated that move, and how much of an impact has that had for you know a guy like Fletcher Cox, who demands so much respect of his own, and to finally have a you know a couple of guys in there that can maybe take some of the pressure off of him, so he doesn't have to be out there every single down. It was really interesting, Logan. The, the Eagles uh, they they lose their first round draft pick, Jordan Davis, high ankle sprain. Um, he goes down for a couple of weeks. They go to Houston on a Thursday night game, and Houston starts running the football four yards on first down, five yards on second down, third and one, convert, boom, boom, boom. Eagles escape Houston with a victory. They go to they, – they, they come home, and they play the Washington Commanders. Same formula, run, 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 play, keep away. Eagles getting beaten in this, this really painstakingly boring-ass you know, short run the football game, but it kept it kept Jalen Hurts on the sideline. Yeah, and so and the Eagles were just not stopping the run. 
So Howie Roseman, who's made these amazing moves, and for for every reason is named the, the executive of the year by the Pro Football Writers of America, deservingly so, goes out and first signs Linval Joseph, then signs Indomitian Sue, gives the Eagles this six-man rotation at defensive tackle. They now play Fletcher Cox more kind of on the edge. As, a, as In a five-man rush, he's kind of you know on the edge um, of this defense. And they can rotate, and they can keep everybody fresh, and they're stopping the run. They just overpower teams with their depth, with their physicality, and everybody's been playing, you know, 17 to 25, 30 snaps a game. Everybody's fresh. Uh, they've, they've done it. They've shored up their run defense. They haven't allowed teams to do that to them. Now, they had one little hiccup when the Saints came in and in the first half really dominated with that kind of approach. The, the Saints had a nine-and-a-half-minute drive to open the game. Eagles ended up losing the game. Really lousy game in Week 17. But for the most part, you know, they've been more aggressive in their coverage. They haven't allowed that kind of play to happen. Uh, and those two veterans have come in here and been selfless. And Fletcher Cox has given up some some snaps, and he's been fine. And he's actually played some of his best football in a couple of years here with fewer snaps. So it really has worked out for everyone. I'm interested to see how the Eagles defense deals with, A, of course, Travis Kelsey. I mean, Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the NFL right now. He is the go-to player for Patrick Mahomes. But I know the way Andy Reid thinks, and I know the way he uses his offense, mm-hmm. and I know that he's going to have his – running backs involved in a lot of different ways. So whether it's jet sweeps or using them in the screen game or, you know, lining them up as wide receivers, uh, he's going to mix and match. But the Eagles have experience, they have versatility, and they've got a ton of depth up front with Sue, with Joseph. And both have just been here to be great team guys and play good football. How cool has it been to see a guy like Brandon Graham, a lifetime Eagle at 34 years old, come out and have the best season of his NFL career sacks wise. I know he's had better years as far as tackles go and, and whatnot, but to come out and have 11 sacks as a 34 year old, he seems like a guy, Dave, to me, that's been a, a longtime leader on that Eagles off a defense, similar to, to what we were talking about with Kelsey, but on the defensive side of things. Yes. And, and right up there with, with most beloved Eagles, a big sack strip sack of Tom Brady late in Super Bowl 52 to help the Eagles win that game. And again, like in Philadelphia, if you understand the culture, the Eagles had never won the Super Bowl. It was a source of intense consternation, angst, and contributed just to the nasty side of Eagles fans because they were embarrassed that the Cowboys, that Washington, that the Giants had won Super Bowls that the Eagles never had. So that play by Graham really cemented him among the all-time loved Eagles. And he's had a terrific year this year. Coming back, by the way, from a torn Achilles tendon, that he suffered in week two last year. So Crazy. for a 34-year-old guy to come back from an Achilles tendon and play the way he's played, he's a ray of sunshine on and off the field. And, you know, Brandon Graham's the kind of guy you root for. He is just an awesome, awesome dude and has played outstanding football, again, on a limited basis. This rotation has worked for the Eagles. They will come at the Chiefs in waves on Sunday, and the Chiefs have to stand up. And really, no team has done that this year because, heck, 70 sacks in the regular season, I think uh, I think nine maybe in the, in the postseason here. It's been mm-hmm. an onslaught of dominance in the postseason by the Seagulls defensive front. Uh, just a couple more for you, Dave. Really do appreciate the time this afternoon. Uh, one more on the defensive side of things before we get into a couple keys for the game on Sunday. Uh, you know, going back to, to Howie Roseman and some of the, the successful moves that he's made, uh, especially heading into this season. Two guys on that defense that are new Eagles, Kaiser White, who comes in from the Chargers, and Hassan Reddick, who has one of the great seasons uh, across the NFL. He's been a, a beast for the Eagles, and he's been key, as we talked about, 
you know, in there pressuring the quarterback. How impactful have they been on the Eagles defense? And how important is a guy like Hassan Reddick when you talk about the mobility and the, you know, ability to change plays outside of the pocket for a guy like Patrick Mahomes? Oh my gosh, Hassan Reddick, what a season, what a fit. Um, uh, snubbed by, you know, the national reporters for consideration, defensive player of the year in the NFL is playing with a chip on his shoulder about it, is angry about it. You know, a walk-on at Temple University who finally earned a scholarship somehow gets let go and get into free agency by the Panthers last year. And he comes in and he just wreaks havoc. I mean, last year the Eagles ranked 31st in the league with all of 29 quarterback sacks. So Reddick was their target, their, their top target in free agency. They go out and get him, uh, and he's been awesome. And he's really tough against the edge. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Chiefs try to neutralize him. Will they throw at him, screen game at him, slow him down? Because he's really been unstoppable. I mean, he's been just a force. And, um, again, the Eagles have four guys in double digits with sacks, so it's very hard to concentrate on one side or one player. So excellent addition, probably, I would think, maybe the most impactful free agent in the NFL this year. Kaiser White was, like, under the radar in free agency. A couple weeks into free agency, still out there. He signed a one-year contract with the Eagles' minimal money by NFL standards, and he's been a great fit as an off-ball linebacker. And really, when the Eagles drafted N'Kobe Dean in the third round of the draft last year, many thought, hey, who's Kaiser White? He's not going to start. We're going to get N'Kobe Dean, the stud from the University of Georgia. But Dean, uh, but, but White has played really, really well. He's been excellent in coverage. And I think what's important with uh, Kaiser is in the first playoff game against Saquon Barkley, not much impact at all in the past game. And he had been a huge factor as a receiver against the Vikings the week before. And then in the NFC Championship game, I know they had quarterback problems, but Christian McCaffrey also a threat as a receiver. Kaiser White responsible for a lot of shutting him down. So I really do think that Andy Reid will use those running backs as a weapon in the pass game, and White will have to come up big on Sunday. What's the biggest key for you heading into the, the matchup on Sunday for the Eagles? Is it containing Patrick Mahomes? Is it how Jalen Hurts operates in the spotlight? If you, you had to really narrow it down to the biggest key to success for Philadelphia, Dave, what would you look to? I mean, look, I didn't tell you about the basics. Don't turn the ball over. Score touchdowns in the red zone. Don't don't score field goals. Those are obvious ones. Yeah. Look, Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, obviously. I mean, the guy is such an important part. How can the Eagles, if they Eagles, who've done a very good job against tight ends this year, can they slow him down just a little bit? Can they double him and single with two all-pro cornerbacks? <laughs> Again, it's up and down the lineup. Really good players. <laughs> Darius, big play slay on one side. James Bradbury on the other side. Can you single cover on the outside and try to contain Kelsey inside? Um, that's one really huge key. And then offensively, again, to me, it's Chris Jones and how you handle him and Frank Clark and win the line of scrimmage. If you win the line of scrimmage, the Eagles are going to eat you alive. They're going to run the football down your throats with Jalen Hurts, with Kenny Gainwell, with Miles Sanders, with Boston Scott, and then they're going to throw it. They're going to burn you in the throw with, with, with their great receivers, and it's an outstanding receiver course. So those are the kind of keys to me. Frank Clark and Chris Jones, how do you contain those two guys up front for what the Chiefs do? And then defensively, can you slow Travis Kelsey down just a smidge? I'm not saying you're going to take him out of the game, mm -hmm. but can you limit him to can you limit him to seven catches, 78 yards 
instead of 14 receptions, 143, and two touchdowns. Dave, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Really do appreciate it. I've loved the podcast. I've, I've really dove into it as we've gotten uh, set for the Super Bowl matchup to get all things Eagles. You do a tremendous job on there, so I wanted to compliment you on that. Continue the great coverage. Enjoy the rest of your time in Arizona, uh, and best of luck to the Eagles on Sunday. Thanks again for your time. Logan, thank you so much, and uh, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Can't wait to talk again, Dave. Thanks again. Dave Spadaro joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. He is the host of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Uh, Eagles getting set to take on the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday in what should be a great matchup between uh, two really good teams, the top seed in the NFC going up against the top seed in the AFC. Uh, do you think Jalen Hurts can be the guy in the spotlight? We'll find out pretty soon. He's going to go up against a guy that's been there plenty of times already in his young career, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. A, a bit more Eagles talk, but maybe more from a fan perspective. Our pal Adnan Verk's going to join us for a Wednesday chat. Uh, you know who he'll be cheering for on Sunday. Where will he be cheering from, though? That's what we got into a bit with him last week. We'll see if he solidified some plans for the big game on Sunday. That's coming up next when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. From one Eagles discussion to another, welcome back to the program. It's Logan Gordon along with you here on Sportsnet Today. Hour two rolls on. We got Cam, we got Taylor, we got our intern John in the other room. John, say what's up to the people. Hello, everybody. Hello, the people. The people. John's hanging out with us for the next month. Uh, John's father is very famous around these parts. You wouldn't know him, but uh, to the rest of us, he's very famous. Alex is here uh, for Brody on the Beat. Brody, come in here quickly. Hurry up. How was, uh, how was Brody on the Beat? It was a lot of fun. Um, we were testing people's ability to pronounce hockey player names. And when will this, uh, when will this debut on the morning show in this next edition? Uh, right before tomorrow, Sarah Volley. So tomorrow, tomorrow, yeah, okay, yeah, tomorrow. So don't miss Brody on the beat. Was it success? You think it was? You think it was a good addition to Brody on the beat? I'll spill this before I tell George and Matt. Um, <laughs> so one of the players we had was um Jacky from Montreal, yeah. and I was failing at my own challenge because <laughs> <laughs> so we chose somebody, they, and then I get it wrong, or they get it wrong, and then I correct them. I said his name was Zajac, like Travis Zajac. <laughs> so. Gonna be fun correcting that in the morning, but uh, so don't miss another great edition of Brody on the Beat coming up uh, with Russick and Rose on the morning show tomorrow. Uh, but very excited, uh, we've got a game day tomorrow. Flames and Red Wings, so we're pushing, condensing all the programs uh, tomorrow. Uh, so we're very tight on time. So glad that our Thursday regular could join us here on a Wednesday uh, down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. It is Adnan Verk. Uh, Adnan, how are you today, pal? Logan, I'm doing great, buddy. How you doing? It's balmy weather here in New Jersey. I'm not sure about Calgary. We're looking at plus 15, which in early February is more than slightly alarming, but we'll take it. How are things in Calgary? We're good, man. If I say uh, that Calgary's going through a Chinook, would you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Good old Chinook. That's yes. like the crazy wind and snow. Like it's, that, that's no joke. Well, you kind of. You know, the wind's for sure, but we get, we get like these spells of like seven to ten days of plus temperatures. During the winter, yes. and it was, I think it was Leo DiCaprio who was here shooting, maybe it was The Revenant or something, and he, he came back to L.A. and was doing a bunch of press on it and said, 
yeah, I remember the you know the global warming in Alberta was crazy. We'd have these these massive weather swings, and it's it's crazy the environmental impact. And people here went went crazy on them, and we're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. This is like a a regular weather occurrence, and you just you're a Hollywood moron. <laughs> That's the thing. It's hard when you're gonna take a stand like that. You better be 100 percent right, right? Like Leo's known as being an environmentalist that cares very deeply about that stuff. But you're right. If you don't actually know what you're talking about, otherwise you just sound like an income boom, which clearly he did in that instance. But yeah, now that you say Chinook, I, it has this imposing, menacing tone to it. But you're right. It's maybe not as bad as one may think. No, it's one of the uh, the few things that makes uh, living in these temperatures worth it for uh, the short period of time. So, no, we're doing good up here, man. We're, uh, we're back at hockey times. We have the Flames and the Rangers. Uh, on Monday, which was incredible hockey. We've got another game tomorrow and, of course, uh, Super Bowl weekend. I just finished up a conversation uh, with Dave Spadaro, who does the Eagles uh, Insider Podcast and getting everybody set for the game. He's excited. He says the Eagles are jacked up for this one. How excited are you? We're just a couple days away from your team being back in the Super Bowl. I can't wait, man. Like You know what it's like when you're a fan. You get nostalgic. You start thinking of all the memories. It's like my own brain is going back and looking at Randall Cunningham and, and Reggie White and Donovan McDowell and Michael Vick and Seth Swinner, you name it. I'm like, this is it, baby. I got about 33 years of fandom here. I, I think I go back to 1990. I was 12, and, of course, that Super Bowl five years ago was pretty special, but I never thought I'd see two in a five-year span. And, and as I said to you before, just amazing to think with different regimes. Like, I know Howie Rose and Jeffrey Lurie at the top. They have a different coach than Sirianni and Hurts as the quarterback rather than Foles slash Wentz. And Peterson a few years ago. you got a relish these moments. The NFC has been fairly weak overall all year, right? From the beginning, it was Philadelphia's got the easiest schedule. Who's going to be the best team? Off years for Rodgers and Brady. So I, I never want to be that fan logo who says, yeah, we're in good shape. Hopefully we'll get it. If not, next year, no, no. When the moment is here, pounce on it. Because the Chiefs aren't going anywhere, nor the Bengals, nor the Bills. The AFC, to me, specifically, is a really tough conference. But the NFC, the fact that Philadelphia is repping is not shocking. But now I'm going to finish the job. And I've been saying this all week, and i felt this all season. And Mahomes is the best player, but Philadelphia's got the better team. And ultimately, if we play our best football, we'll win on Sunday. We talked about this last week when we had you. had uh, Aaron Vickers with me from Daily Hive and, uh, and NHL.com. But you were unsure about your plans for the Super Bowl. You had looked at prices. Uh, you were not willing to sell off one of your children uh, to finance the trip. So instead... Uh, you thought perhaps a trip to Philadelphia uh, to a local establishment in Philly would be the way to go for Sunday's game. Is that still the plan? Have things changed? What's going on on that front? Thank you uh, for reminding him for asking. I talked to Kevin Agandhi, my good friend of Philadelphia's foremost sports fan, ESPN anchor, 15 years. And he goes, i got to be honest with you. He's from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, suburb of Philly. He goes, you shouldn't come. I said, really? He said, win or lose, it's going to be a disaster. He said, the traffic <laughs> is bad. I mean, you, you won't be able to get back to Jersey. He said, you're going to try to leave at 10 o'clock at night. Again, win or lose, you're not going to have a silly for now. You're not going to home until 1 a.m. Kids got school tomorrow. He goes, you should think of alternative plans. I said, wow, that's not what I was expecting of Philadelphia to tell me. But my plan is now this. Because my, my buddy Chris Cody, my producer on Cinephile, which you listen to, suggested, he goes, why don't you go to a New York restaurant slash bar known for being Philadelphia-like? So on Sunday, I'm going to go with Yusuf and Chaz, 14 and 6, to a place called Old Cheesesteak or Old Town, something like that. 
and they filled up the Chiefs, filled up this stuff. My son and Dean and Moz are going to stay home. They're going to do their own thing. We're going to go watch the Eagles game. But the key is someone said football starts at 6.30, right? Free game at 6, obviously free game at 2 o'clock. If you're going to get there four hours early. So imagine this, Logan. I have to get there at 2.30. What's the stamina on a 14- and a 6-year-old for four hours before the actual game begins? <laughs> So, listen, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to get there for 2.30. I, I at least hope the boys look around and go, hey, look, there's 50 Eagles fans around us. We got to eat a cheesesteak. We got to see what the ambiance is like as if we were in Philadelphia. And then probably just drive 45 minutes home and watch it in the comfort of our basement. That, that is my early prediction of what will happen. Perhaps we end up staying there all eight hours. Um, but we'll see. Either way, it's going to be an epic event. See, that's the, that's the tough thing, too, is it's like you're not – you're definitely not talking about, you know, a normal game where you're like, okay, three hours. You don't have to get there super early. You're talking about like a, a whole day in one location for the young ones. That's a pretty tough ask because pretty much once you fed them at the at the establishment, you're talking about a a ticking time bomb. I'm assuming. Oh, 100 percent. And that's for everyone. Listen, you have to bring a tablet. Like you have to bring an iPad. Bring your phone. Distract them somehow. Like I. I, it's a good question. Like, if you and I were there, could we could we even take four hours of pregame? Like, that's a lot to ask. It is. Like, uh, only because my like, I mean, that's a lot of just sitting there and wings and beer and you know, I can't wait for the game to start. Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of pregaming. I mean, I'm I'm not a big tailgate guy. I like to just watch the game itself. So, I don't know, man. I think we're gonna get there at two thirty. I anticipate we'll wait outside for half an hour. Hope we will get let in, have that cheesesteak and bounce. Because even the other part is this. Someone said to me, well. You know, there's lots of other spots in New York. I mean, I'm sure in New York City. And I said, listen, the point is I'm not just trying to go to New York mm-hmm. just to go to a bar to watch. The point is I'm trying to go to a Philadelphia-type place, right? If I was in Philadelphia, that's different. I could go to a different spot. Mm, did we lose that, man? Sometimes we have no, these. Here, oh, we got you there, no, pal. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Sorry. Just, I missed yeah, this, no, just like, the last part there from you. So, like I was saying, so, like, you know, I'm not going to New York City just for the sake of going, like, to New York City to go to a bar to watch the game. Like, no, no. I'm trying to go to replicate being in Philadelphia. And mm. the only place I can do that, right, is at this one restaurant in New York, which apparently is Philadelphia-like. Otherwise, I'd rather just go home. Yeah. <laughs> so, we're going we're gonna to figure out what's going to happen here one way or another come Sunday. Uh, I was excited to ask you about this because uh, let's be honest, I've got a great relationship with you. I love you know being able to throw anything at you. Uh, what do you do? You think you could last four days in a darkness retreat to sort of reset your life? Every you know what I mean? Like just you know, at you're going through a lot of things. You've got big personal decisions. Someone will drop food off for you at a I don't know a hole in the wall every couple of hours. Uh, this is just uh, the guys always been a little bit strange but this this darkness retreat for Aaron Rodgers to make his final decision uh, on his NFL future is something I, I've never quite heard of before I love the preamble to that by the way because like, what what could Logan possibly ask <laughs> I mean this is kind of a personal question but we're friends I feel like we, you know, we're at this point and I'm like oh god this could be really dicey no, it's about a darkness retreat am I as crazy as Aaron Rodgers is the question I mean it's just it's just bizarre, man. Like, what happened to this guy? Like, he used to be great. I mean, he still is a great quarterback. But he went from, like, great quarterback, singularly focused, the toast of the town in Green Bay, a little sensitive to criticism, but, like, gets it done. And then it was, like, eh, kind of a prima donna. Is he in? Is he out? Definitely hates Goonquist and, like, you know, the Packers management. Okay, decides to come back. 
definitely aloof, kind of arrogant. Then the whole immunization situation, so he lied about the fact he was not, in fact, immunized against COVID. And now we have this situation again where he's half in, half out, and just sounds bizarre, like just a, just an odd guy, a darkness retreat. Like on its, on its surface level, he just said, you know, it's kind of weird how we never were able to unplug from our lives. I think it's important to do that. Yeah, I totally get that. But a darkness retreat, what the hell is he talking about? Like, I think even the statement, he said, something, he said something about, you know, you never sleep with the blinds drawn. I'm like, yeah, I do. Of course. Do. <laughs> How do you not sleep with the blinds? Like, I, no, I, I don't think, I don't know anybody who keeps their blinds open while they're sleeping. Like, Aaron, figure it out. This isn't that hard. Just, I don't even know if you need a darkness retreat. Here's the idea. Just stay off social media. Stay off your phone. If he just said that, he goes, you know, for four days, I'm not going to have cell phone service. I go, okay, that would be a hell of a move. Like, just stay in your house. And just keep the phone off. I think that will give you your darkness retreat. You don't need to give it a fancy title and, you know, listen to Gobsmack or whatever the hell he's going to be doing in the next four days. It just, <laughs> just sounds bizarre. It really is. And I was talking to, to a couple of buddies and I'm like, what the hell are you doing for four days? Like, okay, maybe a day. I couldn't do it. I'm, I look at my cell phone every 20 seconds like everybody else. And, yeah, could I use a break yeah. from social media and all that? Sure. Four, four days just like just sitting there and – hallucinating about God knows I have no, like, what are you doing here? And are you paying someone for this? What is this whole experience about? If you're Aaron, like you pay like someone locked, like I want you to lock me in a room. I want you to feed me three times a day. And, and if you don't, don't let a single ounce of light. It's a very strange way of going about your bit, I guess to each his own, but it just, it seems like an odd, an odd way of going about your business. I would, I'd lose my mind 30 minutes in. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I'm with you. Like, I, I love the idea of being able to unplug. Matter of fact, my uh, a good buddy of mine, Dan Stanzik, every, every year he goes to this, his parents, he's got two kids now, parents, his kids. Now, this is the first time he's been with kids, but he's got, like, you know, five siblings, and they go and do, like, a retreat. They go to, like, a cabin, a lake, and that's it. Like, they kind of, I don't know if he unplugs the phone the whole time, but they definitely turn the phones off and just, he goes for a run, a little campfire, a little fishing, a little camping. Like, you know, that, that's a true retreat. And I always think, that's amazing. And I'm with you. I'm like, I could last for two hours. Like, I'll, I'll try when I'm on vacation visiting my folks and stuff. I'm like, all right, let me just not look at the phone for, for three hours. Because like you said, normally it's every, every three minutes. But, again, the retreat, four full days. Like, buddy, that's just – like, let's, let's set some parameters here. It's a little excessive. It's a little look at me, Louie, as they say. <laughs> uh, I saw you uh, did a podcast with our, uh, our old pal Richard Deitch, who does a great one. Uh, on a sports media podcast, uh, what was that uh, about? Richard always, I love the content that Richard brings. He he was doing stuff for Sportsnet for a while there, and he always brings such a fresh perspective to whatever he's jumping on. What did you guys uh, jump on with Richard? Yeah, smart guy, funny guy. I wish I could tell you the pod was great, but it was just bizarre. Like he just happened to text me, my good friend Adam Amin, who is yeah. much more famous now than I am. And Adam is one of the voices of Fox Sports. He's a number three NFL guy. He's a number three baseball guy. Yeah. I mean, number two baseball guy. Uh, he's the voice of the Bulls. And he was like, hey, do you guys want to come on and we'll talk Super Bowl? And I'm like, he doesn't even know that I'm an Eagles fan. Like, Dykes, what do you mean? He goes, well, just talk about what it must be like to call a Super Bowl, which Adam, by the way, I think will do. Burkhart and Davis ahead of him. But then he said to host. I go, I'm not even close to hosting a Super Bowl. What are you talking about? But I I think this is clearly an example. If he wanted Adam on, he knows we're boys. It's kind of like, you know, Leo is good friends with uh, – Toby Maguire, how do we get DiCaprio? We'll get Toby Maguire to come on, and we'll both be together. So I think I am essentially an excuse that Adam will come on. So I'm riding his coattails because there's really not much of me. To, I mean, listen, I love football, as you know. I love yeah. people, but 
like in the public psyche. No, no one's wondering. Hey, I wonder what Adnan Burke thinks about the Super Bowl setup for Fox. Like what? Like uh, I mean, okay. <laughs> so we talked about that. He asked you about social media a little bit, which again, I, I'm not crazy about that either. But yeah. I gave some thoughts there. Then we talked outside the lines, which was a great, great show at ESPN for many years. So I guess there was some tangible impact of that. And then he wanted to talk sports documentaries. And when he had texted me, I go, "What sports documentaries does he want to talk about?" But he brought up the. Um, the one that I actually haven't seen, to be honest, on Netflix, the uh, it's a tennis series of docs, right? The one with uh, Kyrgios and okay, yep. other guys as well. Match Point, something like that. Yep. Yeah, I don't know the exact title, I think. But, yeah, so he brought that up, and he brought some other sports documentaries. So I just said, it's interesting. We used to have a lot of great sports movies, and now they've kind of gone towards documentaries and different types of content. But, yeah, it was a, a very random rambling podcast. You, you already support Cinephile, which I think is more than enough. I can't subscribe to 53 Minutes of me and Adam and me with Richard Dykes, unless you're really terminally bored <laughs> or a huge Dykes fan. So uh, as I uh, go through this and I hear you answer that question, uh, do you think we would have a better shot of getting Adam on this show because you're a regular? Is that what you're saying to, to myself and my boss? That if we wanted to book Adam, we have a better shot because yeah. you're a regular? That's how we should go about doing that? Correct. Either you, okay. either you would message Adam and go, can we have you on and just say, Hey, we know you're good friends with Adnan. He's a regular on the, on the network, which probably wouldn't work, but you throw it out there. The better option is, hey, we'd like to have you and Adnan together. <laughs> and Adam would say, okay, fine. Now we'll split the difference. We'll figure this out. Good to, good to know we have an in-route to your famous friends. That's, uh, that's what we bring you on for, Virk. As much as we love your opinion in your day-to-day, as long as we can get uh, something tangible out of the next show, that's all we got to worry about. Well, that's what we're here for, man. Yeah. Especially, like, as you know, once, once the football ends, it gets a little dicey, right? Like oh, it's, of it's spring training baseball. You're, you're trying to sell the fact <laughs> in six weeks the baseball is going to matter. Like, all right, five, five more <laughs> weeks, four more weeks, boys. And, and listen, you and I love hockey. We love basketball. But everybody gets the February blahs, right? Post-All-Star game, you go, hey, we're still two months away from the playoffs. It, it's just death for a sports fan. Like, for me, the best time, April is obviously great, and October is unbelievable. But, like, the mid-February to mid-March, that's really <laughs> like, all right, let's just dig. Let's just tell some stories, man. Whatever you got. Uh, speaking of basketball, were you uh, were you tuned in on LeBron last night? I did. I mean, it's such a massive story, and uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing him once. It was at the Toronto International Film Festival, and there was a documentary about him and his high school team. I can't remember the name of it right now. More than a game, maybe something like that. Okay. Um, St. Vincent, his St. Mary St. Vincent. Yeah, it was a cool documentary way back when at Tiff. And they said, well, get LeBron. And I got LeBron and his four teammates and his coach, Coach Drew, I want to say. And it was great. What I remember about it was I asked LeBron the first question. I asked LeBron the second question. And I would have just kept asking LeBron questions. But he smartly got the others involved. So, you know, he can handle this question better. He can handle this one. Then I went to the coach and then back to LeBron. And he also, I don't, uh, will never forget the fact, as I was about to talk, he looked at the mic flash. For those that don't know, that means the, the thing that wraps around your microphone. And he said, the score, huh? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, that's like the ESPN of Canada. And I was like, oh, not really. That would be Sportsnet <laughs> or maybe TSN. Uh, we would be a distant third. But he's not corrected. But, but when I told my boss, he was like, oh, my God, he's sitting because we got to air that. He just kind of like mumbled it. It, was, it wasn't like a promo where he looked in the camera and goes, the score, the ESPN of Canada. Like, he kind of just mumbled it. I guess it was like ESPN of Canada. I'm like, yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, sure. So he, 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 wasn't, he did not have the terrain down of sports programming in Canada, but he was very generous, and he's an all-time great. I've always hated Jordan Logan for the simple fact that before the Raptors were even invented or the Grizzlies, you had to have a team. You picked an American team. I cheered for the Knicks. I liked Spike Lee. Yeah. I loved Starks and Ewing, that era teams. And, of course, Jordan the Bulls always beat them. So I just – I can't stand Jordan. I think he's just loathsome. You know what I mean? I just 
he's such an arrogant guy. And I admit he's a brilliant player. Of course he is. And he's a marketing machine and all the rest of it. But anytime Jordan has any sort of issue, I've cheered for it. So when he, when he blew a dunk, as a member of the Wizards, I was applauding. The fact that his team is hopeless now as an owner, I'm endlessly entertained by. And even in the last dance, you know, everyone kept loving it. I said, you know, the best part of it is the non-Jordan stuff. Like, Pippen's great. Jackson's great. Rodman is hysterical. Like, Jordan is just such an, just an arrogant, narcissistic guy. So I've always had that argument that LeBron is better. And now I feel like my argument has gained some significant weight. The fact that I can now say, hey, who has scored the most points in basketball history and still going? It's LeBron. Like, for him to be averaging 30 points per game at the age of 38 is nothing short of shocking. And he's still got at least two more years to go because he wants to know this kid, Bronny. I mean, when it's all said and done, Logan, you're, I, mean, I don't know if they get to the championship. Obviously, Lakers have a lot of work to do to get to that level. But to be able to have four rings and to have all those NBA Finals appearances, that will be a litany of records. I think before it was always laughable to think anybody but Jordan was the GOAT. But now you can really, really make a strong case for LeBron. <laughs> Yeah, it was so interesting just, you know, sort of diving into the legacy of LeBron and going through all of the, you know, the great stats and the moments, the, you know, the the length of his dominance, the fact that no one's really even close to to having the same sort of impact in his generation. I know Kobe was good for a couple of years during uh, LeBron's tenure, but it was never like prime Kobe versus prime LeBron or anything like that. And, you know, the fact that he's not only beat this record from Kareem, but like you said, you know, if he does play long enough to play with Bronny in the NBA, he's going to crush this record. Like, it's not going to be, oh, in his final game ever, he was able to to muster up seven points and, and get a point ahead of Kareem. He's going to be like a couple thousand ahead of Kareem. And I believe that's always the thing to me is when you look at sports and say, okay, what are the unbreakable records? What are the records that nobody thought you could touch? And it's one thing to break it. There's nothing to like obliterate it. Like I feel that way with Gretzky. Like it's it's amazing to me that Ovechkin is you know whatever 80 goals away from breaking the record. I'm like wow, I never thought he I mean, would come within short distance of that, and yet Ovechkin's going to beat it. And like you said, one thing to beat it, but can you blow it away? Like can Ovechkin get to a thousand goals? Mm. Like, wow, no one's going to touch that. And, you know, it's not like he's just getting to 902 goals, wherever it is. So I'm with you for LeBron. Whatever the point total is going to be, I mean, good luck trying to match that. You're going to have to play for. 20 years, like 20 to 22 years at a high level in today's world with the amount of money guys are making, I could just even have the passion to play. Like that's the one thing for me, like LeBron, why you want to keep playing? You got everything. But of course the allure of wanting to play with one son is a really, really strong attachment. And I love that. That's what's motivating him right now and driving him forward. So I just can't imagine another one like him wanting to play that many years and put him back kind of after and stay that healthy. Gotta be lucky sometimes too, right? Gretzky said that he's got to be lucky. Sometimes you need to have good health. Uh, last one for you before we let you go today, pal. Uh, we do have some baseball news to cover. Uh, the team that we cover most here in Calgary, that's the Blue Jays. They avoid arbitration with Bo Bichette. Three-year deal for Bo. He's 24 years old. He's a lifetime uh, 297 hitter. He's got 69 home runs, 239 RBIs. This will walk him uh, to free agency in 2025. Uh, the Blue Jays are a file and trial team. Uh, they avoid arbitration with players if they can reach multi-year agreements, and that's what happens here. Uh, Bo Bichette, an interesting piece of this Toronto team when you look at all of it. He went through some criticism last year, Virg, but uh, as you and me have talked about plenty of times, uh, production from the shortstop spot is something that shouldn't be taken for granted. Yeah, you don't have that many great shortstops. You really don't. You know, We just saw the shortstop for aging class. I know these guys got taken care of with big, big dollars. Maybe Bo will be up to them with values as well. But it's just so important, especially now without the shift. 
you're going to see why shortstop is important and one that's got range and got a great arm, et cetera. And, and Bo's faced some criticism for his defense. You know, maybe he's not as strong as he should be when you look at the analytics and, you know, defensive runs saved and all the rest of it. But the guy can hit. I mean, he has led the American League in hits the last two years. That guy's going to hit 290, 480 slug, hit you 25 home runs, drive in 90, and be an impact player offensively, and especially down the stretch. Since the last two years now, you've seen Bo play at his best when the Jays are pushing towards a playoff spot and made the playoffs last year. So I'm really curious to see what the numbers are, right? We don't know the numbers. We just heard three years of arbitration. He bought that out. He can still be a free agent in his prime years at 27, but I think it's a smart move because the Jays were offering, I believe, $5 million, and Bichette's camp was offering seven and a half. Yep. So three years, I have no idea the numbers. Let's just say three years, $35 million. Okay, good. At least he knows, hey, for three years, I'm good. But they really want to start focusing on getting the big contract done. When he's 27 years old, and wants that nine, ten-year contract, can the Jays pony up? And that's what's going to be fascinating between him, Vlad Jr., and Manoa. Now, there's no urgency to sign those guys tomorrow, but I'd like to lock them up sooner rather than later. Look at Seattle with Julio Rodriguez. They didn't waste any time. Like, this guy's our guy, you're locked up. I hope the Jays, uh, you know, don't wait too long because every year I feel like it's going to get more expensive. Uh, last one for you, latest edition of the Cinephile podcast dropped yesterday, and you guys talked – uh, to Joshua Seftel, who's got an Oscar-nominated documentary short, uh, Stranger at the Gate. It's one that I looked up and watched, uh, was able to watch after the nominations came out. I liked it. I thought it was a pretty interesting one. But what did you guys uh, dive into with Josh? Yeah, I mean, it's got it's eerily similar to what happened to us in Connecticut. At our mosque in 2015, an ex was the next-door neighbor to us. And uh, after the Paris attacks took out a gun, had a few too many drinks, and fired 30 shots in the direction of our mosque, by which he was a next-door neighbor. Maybe, you know, I went next door, but I wasn't like right, right next door, but, you know, far enough that you shoot the gun, and four bullets ended up lodging in the roof. So it was just a, a surreal experience. I remember our president telling us at the time, like, hey, we're going to have, like, the FBI investigating. They very quickly found out who he was. He served six months in prison. Like, we had, like, cops at the mosque. It's just a bizarre situation. It was very, very surreal. But thankfully, we all got through it. And by the way, Ted Hakey, that gentleman, was very apologetic. Uh, he's really been good to the community since then, and you know, I will obviously wish him well with his life. So I hear about this documentary. I go, wow, that's kind of odd. That's exactly what happened to us. And this story is about a man uh, named Mac who in Muncie, Indiana, similar thought process. Ex-Marine wants to cause harm to Muslims, starts to devising a plan. He's going to blow up a mosque. And instead, as the title suggests, Stranger at the Gate, he shows up and starts talking to these Muslims. And goes, hey, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this. They actually seem like nice people, and they're welcoming, and they're kind. And it's a really extraordinary story. I'm glad you saw it. 30 minutes available for free on YouTube. So I watched it. I said, I got to talk to the director. And Joshua was great. He uh, he told some good stories about how the, the film came together. And it's uh, you know executive produced by Malala now. So he's on tour in London, New York. I mean, I think Obama's going to see it soon. So I only saw one other short, which is Haul Out, which I reviewed on Cinefile, which is about a man, and I'm not kidding, 25,000 walruses. He's a guy like up, up in the up in the Arctic, just surrounded by walruses. And I go, I, I don't know how the hell this got nominated. But of the, the two of the five nominees, I got to tell you, Stranger at the Gate is much, much better. So I'm hoping they win an Oscar, not just because I talked to the director, because I don't want to see the other guy win and all those walruses. Uh, Virk, you're the best as always, man. Thanks for popping in on a Wednesday. We're a little backed up tomorrow with uh, the Flames game. So always appreciate your time, man. Good luck to your Eagles on Sunday. Uh, I'll be rooting for you guys and uh, hope you guys get a chance to, to get out and experience a little bit of Philly culture in New York. 
Yeah, at the very least, the cheesesteak will be consumed. I appreciate your logo. Fly goes fly. Take care. Ed Nenverk, MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. He joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. we got to get out of here. Hockey Central 960 with the one, the only, the talented Haley Salvian is coming up next. Reminder, you can find all of our shows on podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. We're back tomorrow on a Calgary Flames game day right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.